Yeah, exciting. Everybody good? Feel good? Good day so far? It's fall. It's fall, right? How many have apple picked already? Raise your hand. Gone apple picking? Wow. Okay, never mind. Jeez, that was a tough crowd. Um, nobody likes apple picking, eh? Cooler weather. Anybody into the cooler weather? Anybody not so much into the cooler weather? It's coming, friends. It's coming. Hey, listen. Uh, we are starting a new sermon series uh, this Sunday called The Inward Disciplines. We wrapped up, um, I think not last Sunday, but the Sunday before, uh, the Great Commission series that we were in. Um, you know, a lot goes into preparing um, for these series and, and a lot of prayer and thinking and, and just, you know, asking God, how should we as pastors, how should we as leaders direct and lead this church? And I think um, this may shape up to be quite a significant series for our church, for you personally. And so um, my hope is that you make it out for at least the month of October, Sunday after Sunday, to hear the words that we have as we uh, talk about this discussion. I mean, um, you know, in a culture that is um, very much undisciplined, if you would, when it comes to the things of God, um, it's always refreshing to see a body of people who emerge in a culture like that, who who want to be disciplined, who want to have certain aspects of their life that are, are ruled and reigned by Jesus Christ. And so um, we're going to get into those things. But today, I hope to just build a foundation. I kind of tricked you last Sunday. I think I said Bethany was speaking. I probably did that to get you to church as she seems to be one of the better communicators. <laughs> um, but no, we had to change up a little thing in our uh, schedule. Um, so she was unable to bring the word uh, today and so you have me. Hopefully that's okay. Yeah, all right, two people. I got two fans here. They're they're pretty big supporters. Thank you, thank you. Um, again, my name is Daryl Temple. I double dip today. I, I lead worship some. I sweat a lot. I yell a lot. Uh, um, I will I will butcher the English language a lot today. And so I just hope that there's a lot of uh, grace in the house today to still be able to receive, uh, even though there might be some hangups, right? Um, but let's uh, just have a word of prayer before we get into it. Father, we thank you for this moment, Lord. It, it's, it's one thing, God, to gather as a community. It's, it's awesome. It's another thing to come together and worship you and music, Lord, and, uh, and song, Father. And it's, a, it's another thing when we come around your word, uh, God, because in it, Lord, we see the everlasting, never-changing words of God. And so, Lord, we ask, God, today, would you take this word and would you transform our hearts into the image of your son, Jesus? We pray these things in your name. Amen. I guess I'm going to stop. If you would, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Again, I am not going to get into any specific discipline. I am going to just build a foundation on why it's important to be disciplined. Amen? Amen? Everybody good with me? Okay, this is a, like a talk back at your boy kind of church. We definitely like some amens every once in a while. Let's just know that you're still alive. It's kind of dark in this room. We, we want to make sure that if anybody's struggle, struggling with breathing, that we get a paramedic your way immediately. So any amens just help us do that. I already got to slow down. Praise the Lord. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be starting in the 24th verse. Um, and if you don't have your Bibles, I'm sure it will be on the overhead. Paul says this to the Corinthian church. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. 
They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it to receive an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one who's beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself would be, or should be, excuse me, disqualified. I've talked a great deal about football these last two weeks. I'm kind of a big Patriots fan. Any, any, any Patriot fans here today? Okay. All right, yeah. We're, we're like, oh, I hear a couple boos. Like, what are you doing here? Like, what, who are you? My God. Um, and uh, I can't help but draw some connections to the sport of football. And, and I think I'm going to draw some connections to my son's love for the game of football. My little boy, Abram, I don't know if you've ever had the chance to meet him. Um, but he's always around. He always has a football in his hands, and he's always asking for people to throw and play catch with him. He's like, he's really into it. Um, This kind of started, this kind of obsession with football started when he discovered Rob Gronkowski. I don't know if anybody here knows who that is, but he is the retired tight end of the New England Patriots. We're hoping that he comes back sometime this year, Um, but who knows. Uh, But he discovered the Gronk, um, and the way that the Gronk would spike the ball after every touchdown, and he just fell in love with Gronk, but more so with the sport of football. And so ever since his career in football started, actually flag football, and yes, I know it may be funny for me to use the word career, but if you talk to him, that's exactly what he thinks it is. It's a career. <laughs> the boy will log his stats. He will, he, he will write down every touchdown, every yard, every play, every fumble that he got on a sheet of paper. Actually, this year, um, he started in a new league, and um, he, he actually thinks, it's in his, it, it, he, he thinks that he got drafted. Because you actually had to try out for this league. You actually had to perform for the coaches. And if you talk to him, he actually thinks he was like a first-round pick. Because um, that's what his coach told him. And so he's, he's really into the sport of football. And um, I had the chance uh, of for like the first couple of years of his football career, we'll call it, um, be his coach. Um, there were good times and there were not so good times. I, I had really no touch point. I had really no reference. I had no context for how to teach and how to uh, hold a practice together with 10 little uh, six and seven-year-olds. And, and then it get into like a game situation. I had no clue. Again, my only kind of reference point was the New England Patriots. And, I, you know, I'm such a fair-weather fan. I will get rid of the Patriots as soon as they stink. I, I will write them off as, as just, you know, as soon as the dynasty ends, I'm done unless they pick up where they left off. And so I'm not, I'm saying that to say that I'm not really into football all that much. But he is, and I'm into him. And so I get around, me and my wife get around everything that he does. And so I had the privilege of being his coach uh, for the first year. And um, unbeknownst to me, um, at our first game, of which I was very nervous for, um, we, were, we were playing and, 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 and I thought, you know, going into that game, I was thinking, you know, I don't know if I taught them good enough. I don't know if I gave them the right skills and drills and plays that they can actually pull out a win. Of course, I don't want to embarrass them or their parents and everything. And so I'm a little nervous. But right in the beginning of the game, our team starts dominating. And I don't even know half the plays that these guys are doing. I'm like, where did they, where did they learn that? They didn't learn that from this guy. And, but, but they started dominating. And lo and behold, um, by the end of the game, we, we won. 
Uh, it was like 30 to nothing. Uh, and yeah, we, we totally shut out. And I'm there, a coach who has little experience, who really didn't do anything other than just try to hold uh, a group of 10 kids together from killing each other and somewhat enjoying the sport. Um, and, and they dominated, we won it. I'm, I'm there by the end of the game with my chest down, and be like, yeah, I'm the man. <laughs> right. You know, look at the Belichick of flag football. I mean, you know. <laughs> So I'm, I'm really excited, and if you know me, I, I, I kind of wear all my emotions out on my sleeve. There's really nothing hidden. Don't shake your head if you agree. I really don't need your agreement. <laughs> Jeez, guys, my Lord. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I wear everything. I, I, everything's out there. And so my excitement about this win is over the top. I'm just like shouting. I'm like, oh my God, you guys are awesome. And I'm really like that guy on the field, and every parent's looking at me like, what is wrong with this man? And I don't know if it was the coach of the other team, if it was um, the commissioner, I don't know if it was my wife or another parent, but, but somebody ended up coming up to me and saying, uh, you know, in this league, coach, nobody wins and nobody loses. And, and my son was next to me, and we both got this, like, face. We're like, what, how stupid is that? Like, what are you, like, nobody wins, nobody loses. Like, what, what? What is wrong with America? You know, like we thought it was a cultural crisis. You're like, nobody wins and nobody... Yeah, so they kind of, I guess, as politely as they could, told me to calm down a little bit. Nobody wins. We're just here kind of to support the kids in their effort to play together as a team and enjoy the game of football. Now, this does sit a bit awkward for me and Abram at the time because we are super competitive. I mean, I am walking around the field like a maniac celebrating my team as the victors. And um, when we get the news that nobody wins and nobody loses, again, you have to rem uh, remember, we got 10 touchdowns. The other team got nothing. Seven out of the 10 touchdowns were, were by my son. And so you can understand, after he hears this, he's like, you mean like those seven touchdowns meant nothing? Are you crazy? But, but, but we are competitive. And I say all that to say this. Um, I celebrate my son's competitive nature. I really do. That may sit wrong for some of you. Like, what are you talking about? I really do. I, I love that my son can get in there, mix it up. He goes full steam, and it's largely because he wants to win. I love that about him. He, he's extremely disciplined when it comes to the sport of pra uh, football. To, when it comes to practice, the kid would play every day, all day, if I could keep up. Or if you could keep up on a Sunday after church. But he's really into it, guys. He's, 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 he's so committed. And that's why I think I celebrate my son's competitive nature. My philosophy is if he's dedicated and disciplined to the sport of football, then he should have my uh, celebration. He should have my vote of confidence saying, well done, son. I know. And, and it's not like he scored those seven touchdowns because, you know, um, we didn't want to give the ball to the rest of the team. I think right out the door, the team realized, like, just give it to that kid. He'll, he'll get it done. I, like, I don't know what we're doing, but just pass it to that boy, and he'll get it into the team. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm not celebrating the fact that our team walked all over the other team. Because uh, uh, it had nothing to do with me. I, I'm celebrating the hard work and dedication my son put into winning that game. His discipline behind the scenes is what got me all pumped out about the wins. I mean, like I said, if the kid could play all day and go over runs and routes, 
and, 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 you know, whatever it might be uh, that the coach is giving him that week, if he could do that 24-7, he would. It's funny. There'll be times when I'm like, I'm only throwing the ball and I get tired, but yet he's like another one, dad. And you know what's interesting? If he misses a set of uh, catches, he will try to convince me to start all over from the beginning. So if we've already thrown like 20 passes and he misses, let's say, 18 and 20, uh, 18 through 20, he's like, dad, can we start again? 20 passes from the top. I want to catch every one. And I kind of admire him. It's the stuff that he does behind the scenes. It's the stuff that he does when nobody's watching. It's the heart he puts into preparing for the game that makes all the difference when the game comes. It's the endless hours of running routes and going through passes, going over drills that pays off when it's game time. And that excites me as a dad. You know, as maybe as weak as an analogy this is or kind of an example as I'm trying to draw out from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul makes some similar connections in terms of discipline. Um, he, he, he makes some connections there in the chapter. There seems to be this behind-the-scenes life, although he doesn't fully disclose it, there, there seems to be this kind of behind-the-scenes lifestyle that Paul is developing, something that happens, right, when, when he's not in the public eye. He, you know, he was a public figure. I mean, the guy was an apostle. He was a heavy roller. I think he gave, if memory serves me right, gave us 33 books of the New Testament. I mean, he, he's a visible man. But yet he discloses something here, I believe, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that gives us a look into kind of the personal life of Paul. The life that nobody saw. The life that uh, nobody saw in the letters that he wrote and in the messages he preached. And it seems to be or it appears to be that Paul keeps up this kind of maintenance for a specific reason. The um, verse 27 says, but I, Paul, right, this is Paul speaking, discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching. So, so there seems to be something that takes place after the fact Paul has done ministry. He does something in his life to make sure that which he is speaking, that which he is writing is not disqualified or tainted in any way. It's almost as if Paul is saying, I want to make sure my ministry life is not contradicted by my personal life. I don't know if you can make that connection, but just kind of letting you into the, the, the behind the scenes of my life and my journey with faith, this has been like a, a singular cry of my heart. You know, being somewhat of a public figure, a pastor, and in the ministry now for 20-something years, I never once want my message to be tainted or to be disqualified by my character. And often we have a lot of Christians out there behind the pulpit and sitting in pews that, for the most part, their lifestyle does not match up to their ministry or their lifestyle doesn't necessarily complement or reflect their walk with Jesus. And Paul makes it very clear that there's, a, there's kind of like a set of disciplines that he has in his life. Again, he doesn't name them here. He's not naming them. But he, he, he lets us, he kind of gives us that kind of a behind-the-scenes look. There's a set of disciplines that he puts in place in order to what? Bring his body under submission, in discipline, so that after he's preaching, 
He does not disqualify himself. Now, there's many theologians that believe that he's talking about his salvation. That literally, if he's not um, holding to that which he's preaching, then this disqualification is, well, being disqualified by God, no longer saved. That's a bit extreme. I don't hold to that. But what I am saying is that there is definitely a place where Paul wants to make sure he is not living a dual lifestyle. You know, and, and, and this isn't just, hey, listen, sometimes we want to beat up on those who live that kind of public life, the pastor. We need to make sure they have it all together. Friend, there is no difference between me and you. Matter of fact, the Bible says that we are all priests, that we are a priesthood. So uh, my being able to live up and discipline my life spiritually is no better, no greater than your responsibility in doing the same thing. So Paul doesn't want to contradict himself. It seems to be this way because he talks about after preaching, something that takes place, you know, after the ministry is done. And and, and kind of making the connection of what makes Abram uh, and his love and his passion so um, inspiring to me is something that he's fiercely dedicated uh, when he's not on the field. And and if I could liken our Christianity to that kind of walk, we need to be fiercely dedicated to our faith, fiercely dedicated to our walk with Christ. Um, And that dedication doesn't just need to happen on Sunday morning. Come on, somebody talk to your boy. (laughs) Haul at you, man. We got more and more Christians just living for the day rather than the months and the years and the years and the years and the years of faithfully stewarding and disciplining their lives much like we see Paul here. You know, if we go down now to Abram being 10, he's a part of a new league, um, and things have uh, changed a little bit. He's not the star anymore. There's a couple other players who are really good, and he's good, but, you know, he's kind of mixed up with like three or four more players that are really good too. And so, um, but you know what's interesting is you can totally, when you get to a practice or you get to a game, you, you can totally see the player who actually takes their um, uh, interest and their dedication to the sport a little bit more further than just game time, than those who just show up and say, it's game time, let's play. There, there's a difference between those who are really practicing, like I just explained my son does, and those that are just like, hey, like, let's get into it, let's get into the game. And, it, you know, it, it's, it's like... It's like night and day. It's like oil and water, right? I mean, they just play differently. Their heart's in it. They're making plays. They're catching balls. They're doing outstanding work on the field. And then the other kids are just kind of like there. They're kind of like just there, trying to. And and can I just say that much like I'm giving you this example, the church kind of looks like the football field. It kind of looks like a a flag football uh, what do you call it, field where uh, 10-year-olds are gathering. There's the players who are really taking things serious and really fiercely dedicated to faith and their walk with the Lord and there's people who are just kind of showing up. Sunday, go to church, I guess. You know, sadly you don't find the words like discipline, you don't find uh, a word like determination or diligence in the church's vocabulary anymore. I really don't know why that is, but it's an interesting phenomenon. It's interesting that we get this kind of lingo when it comes to, well, let's say working out. You want to lose weight, what do you do? You got to hit the gym. You got to watch what you're eating. We'll be very disciplined when it comes to that. Or let's say our academics. 
You gotta, you gotta pass that test. You'll do what you need to do. You will bunker down like it's the end days. And, and you will pull away and withdraw from everybody just so you can get a passing grade. What about getting ready for that interview? Preparing for that race? We understand uh, a discipline when it comes to these very worldly things, don't we? But yet when it comes to being disciplined spiritually, it's kind of like, well, you know, if I get to it, it's enough time after the test, maybe after I hit the gym. It, it seems to take kind of like this third or fourth place and kind of like the places of importance, like what is important. Like it, it just, we don't get it. And you know what's interesting is we usually demonize those people who are disciplined in their walk with the Lord. For whatever reason, they're kind of like written off as like being legal, legalistic and religious. Like, oh, like, are you going to go to prayer? Like, don't you want to go to a movie or like, you know, watch Netflix with me on the couch and eat bonbons? I mean, oh yeah, that sounds exciting. So we understand these things up until it comes to our walk with the Lord, up until it comes to faith. We live in a culture uh, where people uh, uh, demonize, again, those who are fiercely dedicated to their faith. But it's not just a, a worldly thing we're talking. It happens in the church, other Christians demonizing other Christians because they're just, well, they're enjoying Jesus. Now you're realistic. No, friend. I'm just enjoying Jesus. Like, I don't feel the pressure to go to prayer. I enjoy Jesus, therefore I want to go to prayer. You know, I don't, I don't feel the pressure to be like, oh, i got to go to church today. I mean, I kind of do. I'm the pastor. I mean, i got some roles and some responsibilities. But, but apart from that, I'm going because I love Jesus. And, and there's no shame in that game. And you don't let the haters hate. You know, I had an awkward meeting with a married couple one time. It happens from time to time. And don't worry, it was nobody in this church. Um, this couple had kind of come to the end of their ropes in trying to work out some marital problems. And they had met with their pastor, which was interesting, and got nowhere. And so I don't know what uh, made them or inspired them to want to meet with me, but they did. And so I said, sure, I barely know you, but let's try. And so we met. And um, essentially one of the problems was uh, the wife had a bit, a bit of, she had a bit of a hang-up with how much her husband was dedicated to, like, going to church um, Sunday after Sunday. It's like, can't we be like the family that just, like, shows up maybe once or twice a month, not like every Sunday? And there was some midweek services that the, the husband wanted to be a party, wanted to get his kids and exposed to kind of that climate and that environment. And the wife was like, do we really have to go Wednesday after Wednesday to midweek service? Why? And it went right into like their home life where it's like, do we really have to like crack open the Bible and spend like, you know, 15 minutes in the word of God together as a family and pray? And essentially the woman crossed over this border boundary where she was like labeling her husband a, a religious freak, a nut, a, a legalistic coon who just wanted to, um, you know, pull her, the family along with his kind of um, aspirations, uh, religion, religious aspirations. But, but in fact, all the man wanted to do was just enjoy Jesus and, and expose his children to the same God, the same Christ in whom he treasured and enjoyed. We often do that, don't we, to each other? We often look at others who are, you know, they perceive to just be a little bit more committed, I guess, if you would, 
You know, they, 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 they're, they're like, like, no, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to try to be that Sunday after Sunday guy, Sunday after Sunday girl. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna like to kind of like, like carve out, you know, two days a week where I'm actually in prayer with other believers. You know, I'm, I'm actually going to, I'm going to write, I'm kind of going to put that on the calendar. I'm kind of going to schedule that in. I'm going to be disciplined to do that and have that as part of a regular routine in my life. And we kind of step back and say, gross. I remember when I was young, around 20, um, going to Michigan and visiting uh, Bethany, which was not my wife at the time. Yeah, woo, yeah, thank you. Somebody's supporting me. Um, I went to go visit, and um, Bethany was kind of that girl who was weird. Um, I'm not going to lie. In a very good way. I think I got it, but I knew her friends in Michigan didn't get it. There were times, I think I spent like a week and a half there, and I was able to just be around her friends there in Michigan and be around her for a little bit. And I think there was once or twice that her friends tried to get her to come out with them uh, to be part of their like bowling night or movie night. Now, hear me, my wife has nothing against bowling, has nothing against um, going to watch a movie, but uh, there seemed to be other interests that she had at the time. And I remember seeing her friends kind of like be like, you know, kind of taken by that. So um, when she was invited to go places, she would say things like, no, I think I'm just going to hang back and get some time with the Lord. And their faces were like, what, what is that? Get some time. With, we just did church. And, you know, we, we, just, we, just, we just went to youth group. You're going to go spend some time with the Lord. But she was always that person who was like fiercely dedicated to her walk with the Lord, where others were wanting to go out and have fun. Nothing against it. She was wanting to hang back and spend time with the Lord. And I learned a lot from that time and observing her. I never had that in the early days of my Christian walk. I would rather go out and be social and have fun with friends and peers. But I learned a lot from my wife. And I understood this in watching her that discipline or living a disciplined life does not mean you are legalistic. Actually, it's a cop-out. Any person who calls you religious or legalistic because you actually enjoy uh, time with Christ in his word, in prayer, in worship, actually they're religious. Actually they have a legalistic spirit. Because ultimately they are trying to condemn you and hold you in some kind of uh, pattern and keep you confused about your intention when they themselves are simply just accusing you of things they are unwilling to do. And so legalism is not discipline. Legalism is when you take what you do, measure yourself by it, and claim to be spiritual because of it. We, we confuse legalism uh, in the church all the time with what is just plain old-fashioned enjoyment and satisfaction in God. Much like this man's wife misunderstood her husband's intent, his sincere enjoyment and satisfaction in God was written off by being just legalistic and religious, she was wrong. And instead, she probably would have gone a lot further in her marriage and even in her walk with the Lord had she let what her husband was doing at the time provoke her unto righteousness and maybe provide for her a personal relationship with Jesus. We should let or we should show a sense of gratitude and celebration for those who show diligence and discipline in their walk with the Lord. We should let it provoke us 
Let it inspire us. Rather than demonize, we should celebrate. Rather than getting insecure, yeah? We should maybe learn a thing or two and develop a secret life in Christ. In conclusion, because we went a little bit longer with worship, and I want to make sure I'm not holding people longer than we should. Um, I'm going to speed up and just try to make this applicable for us. Um, we started off in reading 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, if we go back to the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, um, Paul's overarching statement in this book starts off with, follow me as I follow Christ, or imitate me as I imitate Christ. I think Paul would be okay with us imitating him as kind of being those disciplined followers of Christ, people who are willing to subdue maybe their passions, maybe what they think is good and acceptable for, acceptable, excuse me, for what is better and what is more glorious and what is more great. I think Paul would be okay if, if we kind of took on his uh, character and said, you know what, I, I want some places in my life where I'm disciplined. I, I want some times that I'm actually scheduling out to, to, to get myself in the Word and kind of a, on a regular basis to get my, 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 my little keister in the prayer room. Sorry, I was going to say my butt just sounded awkward, but I'll use keister. I'm sorry if you don't know what that means. Maybe you want to watch Home Alone, uh, number one. But... <laughs> But I think we should be inspired to pick up some disciplines, some routine disciplines in our lives. I want to tell you a story as I conclude. Again, I opened up the service in saying that I'm not going to um, touch upon one discipline this morning as we'll get into that this month. I'm more trying to focus on the overall good um, uh, that comes when we live a disciplined life. Um, I had an experience early on in uh, kind of starting my journey in worship, a beautiful experience. I was in Connecticut leading a conference uh, with Lou Engel. I'm going to name drop, so get ready. Um, <laughs> Lou Engel, I don't mean it. Jason Upton, J Eddie James was there, a bunch of um, well-known charismatic figures. This was a couple of years ago. And um, I was down there with my, my little high school team of musicians uh, leading a worship set at night. And man, worship was good. Matter of fact, I think in looking back on it, we, we, we made Eddie James look foolish. That's my personal <laughs> opinion. That's my per I told you I'm competitive, so just get over, deal with it. Um, but it was a good day, people responding. I think there was a couple thousand people there in attendance. And man, I felt as like the underdog, I felt like on top. I was like, yeah, Eddie. You hear that music? Get out of here with that I'm free to dance stuff, bro. We got some rock and roll, man. You know, so I was, I was, I was happy. And got off the stage with my chest out. And I remember, um, I, won't use his, I won't tell you his name. And I'm sure he kind of discerned a little bit. And this is why he did what he did. Um, but he pulled me alongside. He said, hey, Daryl, come with me uh, for a second. I want to 
I'll show you something. So he grabbed me by the wrist. It was kind of uncomfortable. I'm like weird. I didn't like the guy, first of all. Uh, but, uh, um, but so it, it just made the, the situation even more awkward because I really didn't care for him. But he grabbed me by the wrist and we're going off. It's after the, after the set. And I'm thinking, hey, let, let me just mingle with the people. I want to hear what they think about the worship. That's what, I, that's what I'm thinking in my head. I'm like, they got probably some good things to say about worship today. But anyways, he drags me off and we go to the pastor's room. And there's a piano. And he's like, Daryl, Daryl, sit down, sit down. I wanna, he, he's like, hey, hey, listen, worship was great tonight. It's really good. But sit down, sit down. I got something to show you. He's like, this is what really matters. And he sat down at the keyboard, just me and him. And he started playing a worship song. He's like, no, Daryl, just worship with me. Just worship with me. Okay? Let's just engage. And he starts playing. He's like, Daryl, this is what really, really matters in the life of a worship leader. See, the, uh, the stage is great. But what are you cultivating behind the scenes? What are you disciplined to do when nobody else is watching? Daryl, this is where it's at. Yeah, yeah, you're going to get the praise of man, right? But and you're probably not going to get the praise of anybody here. But this right here, Daryl, this right here will make you a great worship leader. You're good, but this will make you great. And so we started talking about just the discipline of living um, or having, I should say, a private life of worship with Christ. And, 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 and sadly, I needed to hear it at the time because I had a very public expression of worship. I, I was good. Give me a couple hundred people, uh, maybe a thousand if I'm lucky, and man, I will act like John the Baptist. <laughs> put, put me home by myself. And I'm like, what are we watching? Like, what are we doing? I just had no interest. It's funny that David learned how to slay bears and lions just simply by serving his father before he ever took out a giant. He, he would maintain, and I know I probably stole that from Bill Johnson, but let me tell you, Bill Johnson did not come up with that. Sorry to break your hearts. But David was disciplined enough to, in the beginning of just serving his father's Sheep and disciplining himself to protect them had this very go over there, David. You know, all his brothers, you're going to take care of the sheep. You're, you're like almost, you're, you're unimportant to the thing. And, and, but yet he did that faithfully. He worked out being disciplined in that area, slaying and protecting bears and lions and keeping those sheep protected till one day God put him on the stage of history. And the whole nation of Israel observed him kill the giant. Friends, never underestimate a disciplined life, a life where you are cultivating and stewarding whatever God has called you well before you were ever placed on a stage, well before God ever puts you in front of people. Let's pray. Father, as we get into the